What's going on? Welcome to the new music business. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business. The book, third edition, is now out. The audiobook just came out. Uh, it's available wherever you get audiobooks, uh, as well as the print edition and Kindle and ebook and all that good stuff. Today is another Q and A. Uh, we got so many questions that came through, and if you'd like to submit your own questions, uh, you can do that by getting on the email list. You can get on at ariestake.com. We send out the you know requests for people to submit questions all the time, new episodes, all stuff about the new music business you're gonna wanna know. So get on the email list, visit ariestake.com, get on that. You can find all of us that make the show happen at ariestake on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. You can find me at Ari Herstan on Instagram and Twitter. If you actually could just pause the show right now and leave us a five-star review on Apple or Spotify podcast, however you're listening to this, or give us a thumbs up on YouTube, that really helps. Click the follow or subscribe button right now so we come in your feed. Yeah, and if you're watching on YouTube and you notice that my fro is extra uh, fro-tastic today, <laughs> uh, that is because I am preparing for Brassroots District, my 1970s funk soul immersive concert experience that some of you know that I've been developing and, and performing, um, have the music for, all that stuff. We are performing at the La Jolla uh, Playhouses Without Walls, also known as WOW Festival, in San Diego, April 28th and 29th. I believe all the tickets are sold out, but there is definitely a wait list. So if you're in San Diego and you want to come by, I would just come uh, a little bit early and you'll most likely get on the wait list and be able to get in and see the show. It's a lot of fun. Uh, everybody dresses up in 70s uh, stuff and there's storylines. I don't want to give too much away, but it's unlike any other experience you've ever had. I'll just put it that way. Yes, that's a bold statement. Yes, the nine piece funk band is smoking hot. Some of the best players you'll ever hear, but there's so much more. There's an underbelly to this and uh, you can kind of come explore and experience that with us if you'd like in San Diego. All right, let's kick into the show. All right, so the first question uh, comes from, um, let's see here, Andriana Brown from Montreal, uh, plays kind of a piano, anonymous piano, um, and the question is, what's the best way uh, to prepare for your first EP launch? What should I be doing six months ahead of time? Is it similar to a book launch interesting you're referencing book but um well speaking of the book i do have a full um kind of rollout release timeline in the book but uh on this podcast uh just a few episodes ago, I released the How to Release an Album in 2023, where I stepped you through kind of a, a full eight-month uh, rollout plan. So I would encourage you to listen to that one if you haven't, um, or go watch it on YouTube and you can actually see the slides um, as I explain it. This was a, a live presentation I gave at South by Southwest. Um, so I would encourage you to check that one out. Um, and then, you know, this brings up the discussion of EPs, singles, albums. What are labels anymore? What is a single anymore? Some singles singles have five songs on it. Some albums have five songs. Some EPs have six. I mean, who knows? <laughs> what does it matter what it's called anymore? You know, Spotify has their own terminology. Apple has their own terminology. I have my own terminology. It, whatever. I think, you know, it's all about the intention. You know, I released a six-song full-length album, in my opinion, it was full-length, this is like a big, you know, it's more about the intention and the artist's statement that you're making, uh, EPs seem to have less pressure around them, the singles definitely, 
It's kind of like, all right, here's where I'm at now, whereas albums are like, here's the statement that I want to make. This episode is brought to you by Bandzoogle. This is how you should be creating your website. I've made many websites on Bandzoogle for years, long before they were paying me to tell you about it. I told everyone about it because it's super, super easy. Don't mess around with web developers. Let me tell you. The most frustrating people on planet Earth are web developers. No offense to my brother, who is a web developer. He's amazing. He was the one who originally built Ari'sTake.com. You're awesome, Mika. Hey, what up? Okay. Uh, but they're frustrating. They're always overworked. They take on too many projects. They're always getting sniped by startups that will pay them way more than any independent musician can pay them. So you should not be messing around with web developers. Stop paying web developers. Seriously. You know this by now, if you have been hiring web developers for your website, you can't get a hold of them, you can't afford them, and they are just, the turnaround times are way too long. So, Banzoogle, this is how you can build a website. It's super easy. They also have a built-in store, commission-free. You can sell music, you can sell downloads, PDFs, whatever you wanna sell, it's all commission-free. They have a crowdfunding service, this is new. That's also commission-free. They also have a subscription service on there if you want to kind of start your own fan club and have subscribers, fans, patrons, whatever you want to call them, commission-free. This is all at banzoogle.com. You can get a 30-day free trial if you use the code ARI. That's my name. And you also get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Go to banzoogle.com. Use the promo code ARI. That's just spelled A-R-I for 15% off the first year of any subscription. All right, let's move on. The next question uh, comes from Alex Lise from Portugal. Um, Alex uh, is a singer, writer, and producer. And she says, hey, Ari, sending hugs from Portugal. Thanks for creating such an amazing book and podcast. Oh, thank you. Truly appreciate you. My question is, I wrote, sang, produced demos for my EP on my own. However, I got a friend that added a few sounds here and there. For example, a song has around 35 tracks, and he added a bass and, and a few foleys. Um, I'm not sure. Foleys, that's a translation thing. He helped with leveling up the sound, equalized it. Okay, mixing stuff. But the core of the song stayed the same. I feel like I did 80% of the job, but he definitely helped along the way. How should we split royalties? I'm about to register the song rights, and it's still a puzzle for me. Is he a co-author, a producer? At first, he wanted 50%, but I feel like the song is still much more mine than his, and I feel this wouldn't be fair, but also, I want to be fair towards him. We didn't really make a specific agreement on this. Uh, that's why the situation is unclear. I appreciate your insight. All the best. Okay. Great question, Alex. Um and uh, so from this situation specifically, and then I'm going to zoom out and talk more about the producer-artist-songwriter relationship, um, this sounds like that they just did kind of a typical production producer work. Typical producer. They're not entitled to any publishing. Publishing means songwriting. They're used interchangeably. So uh, it doesn't seem like they had any... Uh, they didn't help write the song at all. You said you you wrote all the songs yourself. They just added sounds here and there. They helped the production. That's, that's you know, uh, textbook what a producer does. So uh, they should be paid as a producer. Um, now, this is a good opportunity for me to remind everybody that there are two copyrights on every recording. 
two copyrights to every recording. What are the two? Well, one is the copyright for the actual recording. So there, there are certain people or, or companies or whomever that own the rights uh, to that recording. You know, uh, a label sometimes on the rights to recording, an artist sometimes on the rights to recording, um, sometimes producers. And then there's a second copyright, and this copyright is the underlying composition, the song. Who wrote the song? Sometimes they're the same people, but sometimes they're not. You know, uh, Alex, uh, maybe I wrote a song that you want to cover. So you would own the recording and I would own the song. Just because you recorded my song doesn't mean you now own my song. And just because uh, you recorded my song doesn't mean I own your recording. They're completely two separate copyrights. So just we want to be super clear about that. So we're dealing with two completely different set of rights. Of course, when a lot of us do both of it and all of it and we write songs and we record them and we work with different people on that and it's kind of the full creation process start to finish and it's the first recording, it can get a little blurry and a little complicated. Um, but just to be super, super clear, uh, what this sounds like, this situation, is that uh, the producer could get some royalties on the master copyright, the master side, not the song, not the publishing. So this is very different. So when you register, um, I don't know what Portugal's uh, performing rights or mechanical rights organizations are, uh, but when you register the song with your publishing company or your uh, local uh, CMOs, the, the collective management organization, which is what they're called, like which is really performing, performance rights, mechanical rights, that's for songwriters, that's publishing stuff. When you register all that stuff over there, um, that is just you. You own 100% of that. That's the composition. That's the publishing. But now when we're talking about the recording, that's totally different. So yeah, I mean, if you didn't pay this producer any money um, and did kind of it, uh, they did it for free for no money up front, then yeah, I think it's it's very fair to share uh, the royalties 50-50. Uh, just again, just the recording royalties, not the publishing. Um, if you did pay them, what's typical these days is many producers get paid a, a their, their full rate up front, an upfront fee. You know, it could be 1500 bucks. That's kind of a typical going rate um, for indie in the independent music community, at least in L.A. Um, for the full song, for a full production. Uh, and then they also could get like, you know, 20 uh, percent in the back end. Um Royalties. Sometimes these are called points. Uh, you know, in a major label world, uh, the point system is like, oh, you know, the producer gets three points or four points. Yes, they're percentage points, but those points typically come from the artist's percentage points, which is typically like 15, 18, 20 points, something like that from the label. So if you really think about that, it's about producers making about 20% of what the artist makes. So in the independent world, when you're not dealing with major labels taking 80% of the pie, uh, usually producers are making around 20% or so of the recording if the artist is making, you know, 80%. If the artist is making 80%, then the producer makes 20%. And, you know, that's kind of how it it works. Uh, some make a lot less, some make some more. You know, sometimes producers take 15%, 10%, uh, whatever. It kind of depends on where you are all are at. Uh, I always look at it as like a, a sliding scale. If you pay the producer more up front, they make less on the back end. If you pay them less up front, they make more on the back end. So you, if you paid your producer zero up front, then yeah, they should make more on the back end. 50% is totally reasonable um, in that capacity. Uh, but yes, I would say only the people that helped write the song are entitled to publishing. Um, in the hip hop world or in the pop world, 
Oftentimes, producers make the quote-unquote beat, you know, the instrumental production. Um, and yeah, that's that's typically entitling them to 50% of the publishing of the actual song itself because they made the full, you know, production, uh, which was the start of the composition. And, you you know, the artist, the top liner is what it's called, whether you're a rapper or a singer, came in and top lined. And usually that's split 50-50 in terms of the publishing, in terms of, you know, the producer, songwriter, they're still songwriters. They made the beat. They made the instrumental production from scratch. And uh, they, you know, the chord changes, all of that. And then the artist comes in and layers their vocals on top. Uh, that's typically split 50-50 or so, or there's like, you know, 50% of the songwriting royalties, the, the publishing royalties are split amongst the all the producers, because uh, sometimes there's multiple produ- producers, and then sometimes 50% is split on all the top liners. Sometimes there's multiple top liners. You can kind of break it down. There's no hard and fast rules or laws about this, but that's typically how it works in the pop and hip-hop world, or more so in the hip-hop world. Um, and then in like the, uh, you know, in the rock world or the singer songwriter world of folk Americana, anything that deals with like organic productions um, or productions where the songwriter comes in and says, here's my finished song. Let's produce this. That's the situation that sounds like you're in that we discussed. All right. Thank you for that question, Alex. Next question comes from Andrew from Poshcote uh, from Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Hi, Ari. I'm in a new band, and we have started gigging in our small city, as well as recording 10 tunes for a waterfall release. Awesome. You must have either watched my, listen to my presentation, my South by presentation, how to release an album in 2023, and learned what a waterfall is, or have read the new edition of my book, or just, no, this is not my, my term. Waterfall releasing is very common these days. Um, all right. My question is around planning the release schedule as we are using a guy to mix our tunes that is giving us a good price by mixing us around the other work on his plate. Bottom line is that it could take at least a few months to complete the album's worth of music. Should we wait to start the release process until when we know the album will be finished or start the process sooner before we actually know our album completion date? We would love to have material up to send people to as we are building ourselves up locally. We, of course, want to build up our online connection with listeners as well. We do see some value in not being rushed, which allow us to build an organic fan base here at home. Thank you. I'm currently enjoying your book, Andrew from Poshco. All right. Um, Great question. So what he's referencing, if you're not familiar with the Waterfall release, it's essentially you release a song from the album in advance of the album every you know four to six weeks or something or some people do it sooner some people do it a little bit longer but that that's about it it's almost every month or so um and you you uh w- waterfall i mean you build the album so it's kind of like um single number one you release a month later release single number two but on that single you also have single number one included there to get people you know who are just being sent to that single more to listen to then single number three comes out a month later etc cetera, etc cetera, on and on um so a lot of people are waterfalling these days it's it's meant for the algorithm for the spotify algorithm um and yeah spotify and streaming and uh, likes regular releases uh to help the algorithm um and also you know your fan base it's like something for you to talk about it's like having regular releases is really important so if you have 10 songs i encourage everyone to waterfall that or just release you know Maybe all 10 is singles, or maybe you release five or six as singles in advance of the album if you're releasing an album or something like that. Um, 
Now, getting to your question. So this deals with the uh, project management uh, iron triangle, which is good, fast, cheap. You can only pick two. Which two is it going to be? Good, fast, cheap, fast. It ain't going to be good. If it's going to be good and cheap, which it sounds like yours is, it's not going to be fast, which we know that. So um, I, I understand the predicament you're in. Um, I would encourage you to set deadlines and be and and manage expectations. So, um, you know, if they're doing it seriously for free, well, then, yeah, you can't really set deadlines because they're doing you a favor here. Uh, I, I wouldn't recommend that. I would recommend paying something. So at least there's some understanding in like, you know, some verbal contractual understanding that, you know, you're paying them for a service, even if it's below their normal rate, you're still paying them and then they can be held to some standards. And so I would always set expectations and be like, all right, um, we're going to pay you half your normal rate or whatever. And, you know, they can make up whatever their quote unquote normal rate means, but whatever you agree on a rate, we're going to pay you 200 bucks a song to mix, which is cheap for most mixing engineers. Um, they're like, all right, you know, that's well below my normal rate, but I'll do it for you. But then you can say, all right, uh, let's set deadlines. So first song is going to be by this date. Next song will be by this date. Set those deadlines. Uh, honestly, you need these expectations. And then check in with them a couple weeks before. Hey, you know, uh, in, I'm in touch with the mastering engineer. Just want to make sure we're still on track for our June 15th um, deadline. And then make sure they respond. Uh, yes, we're good to go. Or, or like, cool. And then you can also say, you know, um, working with the distribu distributor, want to make sure we're all set for the June 15th deadline because we've uh, planned the release and we're planning the release around it. Just like, let them know that there's other stuff going into this. This isn't just like you and them for your own um, health, you know, like this is your career. Whether you're paying them 200 bucks or $2,000, they're going to, they should be taking it seriously. And you can, you know, uh, manage expectations and, and demand a deadline. Uh, if you're paying them $2,000, they might turn around by tomorrow. If you're paying them $200, they might need a couple months, but you still need to set that deadline. So, um, let's see. Oh, and your question was, um, should we wait to have everything? I mean, as long as you set the deadlines and, you know, you lay this out with them, you're like, all right, this is our release schedule. I would say, you know, you're going to want the master um, at least a month before the release date because you it's going to take time to queue it up, to distribute it. And then if you want to pitch it for editorial playlists, they like to have it a few weeks in advance for the best chance. Um, if you're pitching for any press or anything like that, you know, that needs some lead time, all of that. All right. Thank you for that question, Andrew. Next question comes from Gabriel Garcia from Georgia. Self-released DIY one-man operation artist and songwriter. How much do streaming services pay in mechanical and performance royalties for each stream? Great question. Um, and I'm glad you know what mechanical and performance royalties are enough to ask how much they pay. So just to break this down, and I'm glad, you know, we just covered those two copyrights <laughs> on a recording. So mechanical and performance royalties deal with the publishing royalties, the songwriters. So 
Uh, mechanical and performance royalties are only earned for the songwriters, not the artists, um, not the record label. They're only earned for the songwriters or and the songwriters publishing companies. Those are mechanical and performance royalties. And yes, there are mechanical and performance royalties generated for streams. Uh, there is no per stream rate for anything. Unfortunately, that is how streaming works. It's all, um, uh, you know, prorated money. It's it's uh, money that br- the streaming services bring in from subscription ser- uh, subscriptions and from ads. That money gets calculated internally based on all the streams on the platform, and then the money gets divvied up, um, you know, based on all the streams and your your ratio, your proportion of streams against every other stream on the platform. I don't like the system. I think we should be on a on a user generated royalties, which is like I uh, I pay ten dollars a month for my streaming subscription service. I only listen to you the entire month. You should get all my money. That just makes sense. And sure, the streaming service can can take their commission. That's fine. Um, you know, most streaming services are keeping about 30%. Spotify, Apple, they keep about 30% of the money. Um, you know, that's what iTunes kept too, 30%. So that that's that's standard across the board. Uh the problem is is not that the streaming services are keeping, well, we can we can debate how much they, you know, is reasonable for them to keep. The problem though is that some of my uh, subscription this month went to Taylor Swift, and I didn't listen to Taylor Swift at all this month. Why should she get some of my subscription money? Well, that's just how the streaming services operate. Uh, little that was a tangent. Uh, I digress. Back to your question about mechanical and performance royalties. Uh, there's no hard and set rule, unfortunately, but it is about one fifth of the money um, ish, or so. Twenty percent or so um, is made. The money. For streaming is about 20% of what is made for publishing as is what is made for um, the recording royalties, the master royalties paid out to labels. Labels and artists make a hell of a lot more from streaming than publishers and songwriters. Shouldn't be this way. I've argued that it should be 50-50. I wrote this rant in my book. Uh, This was the last chapter of the book is like my current rant on the music industry. I think that streaming should pay equally, 50-50. 50% of the money goes to artists and labels for the master royalties, and 50% of the money goes to songwriters and publishers for the song, the composition. It doesn't work that way. Uh, there's many reasons and laws and bullshit stuff around that, but that's why. Is uh, Yeah, labels and artists are making about 80% um, and of the total money, and songwriters and publishers are making about 20% or so, and it, it shouldn't be that way. It should be a lot more. All right. Um, Next question comes from uh, Georgina Duffy from New York, an electroacoustic artist. Uh, The record company says they don't take ownership of the master, but they take ownership of the digital performance right, performing rights. What does it mean? Um, You wrote digital performing rights. Um, That's also known as, or usually digital performance rights. Um, And it's, it's, more specifically, digital sound recording performance royalties and rights. Um, what that means is, and I don't think they take ownership. If they don't take ownership of the master, they're not taking ownership. But what I'm assuming this is referencing, and I would have to see more of the contract, is that they're going to collect um, the royalties generated from the sound recording performance royalties, which come from, in the U.S., that's from Sound Exchange. 
Um, anywhere else around the world, those are called neighboring rights, but essentially they are performance royalties generated for the master recording for the artists and the labels. Not to be confused with performance royalties generated for publishers and songwriters, which are collected by PROs like ASCAP, BMI, you know, uh, th that's for songwriters, that's for publishers. We're not talking about that right now. You're talking about your record label. And yes, there is a, uh, digital performance royalties, um, and those are collected from Sound Exchange. So with Sound Exchange, um, if you're in the U.S., Sound Exchange is collecting the essentially the digital radio royalties for your recordings. So if you're an artist and you have a recording out, even if it's a cover recording, they'll and, and it gets played on the radio, digital radio like Pandora, SiriusXM, iHeart, any digital radio station, um, there's royalties generated, and those those royalties generated for the recordings are sent to Sound Exchange, and Sound Exchange collects on your behalf, and then they pay out. Uh, half the money to the label, and then they pay out half the money to the artists. Now, if you're not signed up with Sound Exchange, you should sign up with Sound Exchange. Um, if you don't have a record label, you can click the both button that you get both payments. If you do have a record label, the record label registers the label portion, and then you still need to register your portion as the artist. Um, this is a nice moment to plug the registration royalties and release Ari's Tech Academy course. Um, we step, I step you through all of this and I screen share how to register for Sound Exchange, how, what all these royalties mean, how to collect all the royalties. Sound Exchange is just one place that you need to be collecting from. So if you're, if you want to collect all your royalties, I would encourage you to join us in the registration royalties and release Ari's Tech Academy course. Um, just go to ariestechacademy.com. There's a link to it there. Real quick, I want to let you know about Two Lost. Two Lost is a new distribution company to the space. And let me tell you, I am very impressed with them. I, I got a full deep dive demo with the founder. And yeah, they're very innovative. And when you come into the distribution space at this stage with how crowded it is, you better be innovative. And they are. Yes, they will get your music out to Spotify, Apple Music, all the places, plus 450 other outlets around the world. They do not take a commission. This is why 300,000 artists and labels have already used them. They've already distributed 7 million songs. They offer payment splitting, and they don't charge your collaborators for this service for the payment splitting. They will just pay your collaborators directly for free. They have publishing administration with BMG, so you know it's legit. A lot of distributors have... have fallen into trouble with using some other uh, less than legit pub admin services. Well, Two Loss is partnered with BMG. You know it's legit. They offer instant royalty advances. Uh, this is something that's very cool. And if you have historical streaming data and you need just a bulk payment up front, they can see how much your music has earned in the past. I'm like, all right, we think we know what you're going to earn in the next three years. Here's a check for 100 grand or whatever it will be. And you can just click a button and get that distributed and um, into your account immediately. They do lyrics and credits distribution for free. They have a very innovative analytics platform where, yes, you will see real-time analytics for Spotify, Apple Music, but also Pandora, Deezer, SoundCloud, and Peloton. They're the only ones that do Peloton. Uh, they also have a service where you can search the internet wherever your music is being used and it will just show you a chart of everywhere, every TikTok video, everywhere, every YouTube video, everywhere your music is possibly being used. I've never seen this before. That was very cool. They'll register with Sound Exchange, and they have a fraud prevention tool, and they're doing fraud prevention. So if you're worried about your music 
you know, getting a bot attack or something like that and getting ripped down, which we've seen is a big issue. Uh, they have fraud prevention tools that are better than most other distributors that I have seen. Check out Two Lost. You can just go to twolost.com. Use the promo code Ari's Take for three months free and try them out. Let them know what you think. All right. Next question, Susie from New Orleans, my favorite city. All right. Hi, Ari. I'd like to ask you about special events. Nobody seems to talk about how to get some symphony or, or orchestra work. I am a jazz, Afrobeats, reggae, singer, composer who does lots of covers, some originals, which would go great with an orchestra. Do you have any idea how to approach this? Um, well, you mentioned special events. Uh, I just plugged Ari Stake Academy. I'm going to plug it again. We have actually a course on how to break into the special events market, like performing art centers. Um, performing, you know, in these alternative venues like performing arts centers, orchestras, all that stuff. It's a whole underbelly of the industry. It's it's this whole, I should say, parallel industry to the music industry. Extremely lucrative. Uh, our instructor is Carrie Rayburn. Um, he's in a he's in a an electro swing band, and and they you know they make six figures a year, uh, high six figures a year, just playing these kind of alternative venues and, and performing art centers and, and that kind of stuff. So I would encourage you to check out our special events course. We jump all into how to break into that market. Um, com. Check it out. All right. The next one comes from Cindy Hortzman, a jazz harpist. As a harpist playing and writing jazz-based music on electric harp, what platforms can you recommend me to grow my fan base? Uh that's why I put this question right after the last one. Uh, same answer. You should break into the special events market. Uh, you should play performing arts centers. And we help you do this in our course. Uh, it's it's very challenging and confusing how to break into this market. But once you break in, um, it can be very lucrative. And it sounds like this is exactly the market for you. So I would encourage you to do that. Bart Lutterbach. Uh, excuse me. Luderbach, thank you for that pronunciation. Bart Luderbach from Boston, Mass. If an artist plays your song in a concert, how will you be compensated? Like if the crowd is 70,000, it should be more than 7,000 or 700, right? Great question, Bart. Uh, the answer is yes. So um, there are performance royalties generated uh for every live, theoretically every live performance of your song, if you wrote the song, uh, all over the world. Now in Europe, this pays a lot. This pays a lot more than it does in the U.S., uh, unfortunately. But the U.S. does pay as well. Now every performing artist uh, can re can can register their set list with their own performing rights organization. So with your ASCAP or BMI, you can log into the back end. Um, or if you have an admin publishing company like a Song Trust or TuneCore Publishing uh, or Centric, you can upload your set lists and they will get those set lists registered with the proper organizations and get you paid, um, paid based on the songs. Now, of course, if someone, if another artist covers your song, um, you want to make sure that that's registered. So if you hear about it. Uh, you can register that yourself. Um, you know, they might have to verify it. Uh, a lot of these organizations will track like the top 300 tours and track all their set lists. But uh, there's thousands of tours, of course. 
Um, but it can be very lucrative. You can make a lot of money from it. So you're just going to want to make sure that um, if your song is performed in a big space, in a venue or any venue, I mean, even if it's a small venue, you know, 100 cap, 50 cap, whatever, you're still register that set list. You're going to make some money from it. It's, it. It can be worth it. All right. Next one comes from Murray Bond, also known as Rock and Roll Johnny Bod. Excuse me, Murray Bod, also known as Rock and Roll Johnny Bod, songwriter and frequent live performer in New York City bars and clubs. All right. Question is, how can I get contact information and music publishers that will accept my submission of recordings and lyric sheets of my original compositions? For which I hold the copyright. If the useful publishers do not accept unsolicited recordings, how do I find a useful agent who has the ear of established music? Okay. So uh, let's just break down why you'd want a publisher. So unless you are an artist that is getting millions of streams already um, or you have songs, uh, you have hits on the radio, not not like you got a song spun once on the local radio station. We're talking hits. We're talking big money being generated from this. Um, or you are making good money from sync, uh, you know, getting your mu- music on TV shows and whatnot. Um, then the only reason a, a publisher would sign you is if you are writing undeniable hit songs that other artists will cut. So there's, there's two reasons that a publisher is going to sign you. One... If you, the artist, are generating a lot of revenue currently from your own catalog um, of songs that you wrote, or two, you are such an undeniable pop songwriter that uh, they see they they are sure that they can get your songs cut um, by pop artists. Because that's the thing. That's the publishing industry. You know, the, the publishing industry right now, especially with major publishers, um, but even some of the big indies, is... Uh, it's about the money that they can make from the compositions, from the songs. If your songs aren't making any money, there's no real reason you need a publisher right now. Why would you need a publisher? Um, you can just hire an admin publisher like a song trust or a TuneCore Publishing or a Centric uh, to just collect your royalties. A publisher, a hands-on publisher that's going to actually you know, give you an advance, um, some money up front. Maybe they're going to own part of your catalog or they're going to at least license it and they're going to take a healthy commission, 30%, 50%, something like that. Um, the publishers, they were, they'll work with you um, because your catalog is going to generate money, a lot of money for them. That's going to be worth it for them. Um, or they think that they, you know, because hands-on publishers will put you in the room with other hit songwriters. They create sessions that way, get you in touch with producers or if you're a producer they put you in touch with songwriters um and then they shop your songs around to pop artists looking for songs so you know rihanna's coming out with a new record she needs you know she's gonna consider 40 songs uh that she doesn't write and so they're gonna send the songs to her and maybe she'll add her you know taste to it um but yeah those songs uh you know every pop songwriter these days um you know, for the most part, when you, you look at the credits on it, virtually every pop song out in existence right now, there's multiple songwriters on them, multiple songwriters. Uh, sometimes the artist is in the room writing with those songwriters, and oftentimes publishers put that artist, put, you, you know, their songwriters with that artist. That's how it works. Um, that's how you get the credits. Sometimes the artist isn't in the room. If you're a superstar, you know, Beyonce's 
not typically in the room. Uh, they usually send her the song. She listens to it. She's uh, adds her own, um, you know, she, she kind of works it and rearranges it. And, and she is then a co-writer on the song. Um, sometimes she's she works with the songwriters and artists as well. Um, I'm like afraid. I don't know if you've been watching. This is a little a digression. I don't know if you're watching Swarm right now, the TV show. But like I mentioned, Beyonce, <laughs> and all I can think about is the is the is the Beehive is going to be coming after me, uh, like Swarm, and there's going to be some some uh, young woman that's going to come in and smash me in the face with a with a skillet. Uh, uh, <laughs> I love Beyonce. No, I really do. I, I am I am a really big fan. But um, don't come after me, please. Um, or God forbid, I say something negative about Taylor Swift and the. Swifties come after me, and I, I learned my lesson by by uh, being critical of something that Maddie Healy from the 1975 said. Uh, if you read my Variety piece, and boy, I did not realize. I don't know what they're called, Healyites, Maddie lovers. I don't know, 1975 fanatics, whatever. They don't, they're not like Swifties or or Beehivers or whatever. But like, boy, did they come at me. Um, I wasn't even. I loved the 1975. That got lost in the nonsense. It was just his. His statement, I was I was critical of. He was off base. Anyway, I digress. Um, so if you know the reason, so step back. Why do you want a publishing deal? Do you want a publishing deal uh, because you are writing hit songs that you want cut by other artists? Okay, well then, uh, then you need to find A and R at publishing companies and send them your songs and be persistent. Um, you know, I don't recommend doing that at labels because this is not, this is a very different industry, but I've talked to A&R publishing companies all the time. They, they read their DMs. They listen to songs. This is their entire job is to find the next best hit songwriter. Um, you know, so if you are a hit songwriter, meaning you are writing songs that are competitive with every other song on the charts right now, again, these are not art songs. These are not songs that your rock band's going to cut. These are not songs for you to cut. If you are writing hit songs, then whatever, and you want a publishing deal and you want to get in the writer's rooms and you want to be in these pop songwriting sessions, all you got to do, um, not all you got to do, this is this is one thing you can do, um, is find the A&R, and this is the work you're going to need to do. Who are the human beings? They have names, they have Instagrams, they have email addresses. <laughs> um, most people don't know this, and some they're you know their DM inbox is not flooded. Uh, find them; it's not hard. Get on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, write down the top twenty publishing companies in in the world. Now make a list of them. Now go on LinkedIn and find everyone who works, and in their job description, if it says A and R at you know. Um, at Warner uh, Music Publishing Group or at BMG Publishing or at, you know, Sony Music Publishing or at Cobalt Publishing or, you know, whatever. There's there's literally, you know, 50 other publishing companies you could find. Um, and then find those people who, what, they have names. Find them and shoot them an email, shoot them a, a DM with a, a link to your song. And I, I would say, you know, the song should either be a disco link. Uh, SoundCloud is fine. Dropbox is fine. Um, but, you know, these are demos. These are not songs that you've released necessarily um, on Spotify because they want something that's been unreleased and discovered that they could take and they could pitch. So um, if that's what, you know, 
and it works. I've heard it worked. I've heard, I've talked to a that, that read their DMs and listen to the songs and, and whatever. So um, you can do that. And uh, the other thing is, is like, if you want to be a pop hit songwriter, then yeah, you really should be living in LA or Nashville um, and uh, these, or, or London. These are the three, you know, hit songwriter hubs in the world. If you're doing hip hop, Atlanta, you know, Miami, um, if you're or maybe New York a little bit. Um, and, and yes, I, I should give a shout out to my buddy Danny Ross, who runs the Anti-Social Producers Club in New York. There are song, hit songwriters and producers in New York. It's much smaller community uh, than it was 15 years ago and much smaller than Los Angeles or Nashville. But community exists there as well. So move to a music hub where there are hit songwriters working and writing every single day. If you want to be a pop hit songwriter, you should be writing every single day. You should write a song every single day, sometimes writing multiple songs. If this is the kind of life that you want to live, you, you got to be writing every day. And then you got to move to a music hub where you can start meeting other songwriters, showing up to songwriter nights, songwriter sessions, songwriter rounds, um, and get into a writing session with everyone and anyone. Literally in LA, you know, it's kind of like you meet someone and it's like, yeah, sometimes you say, oh, we should... The, the the two the two in the music community is like the the two phrases like oh man we should go on a hike sometime everyone in LA just goes on a hike it's like going for lunch or coffee in any other city it's going a hike and then that's like an icebreaker and you get to know each other or like let's write a song together sometime you see each other at a, at a songwriter night songwriter session hey let's get together and write a song you know you don't like initially if you're just getting started you want to write with everyone and anyone and eventually. If you become known as a great writer, a great hang, you have a good skill set, maybe you're a good producer, maybe you have, you know, you're a great top liner, maybe you're known as a lyricist, maybe you're known as a great producer, as a driver, you know, um, then you'll be asked and brought into more writing sessions and more writing sessions. And eventually you'll be writing with writers who have publishing deals. And then you write a great song that they love, their publishing company gets it cut. Now you have a cut. Now you can take that to a publisher and be like, hey, I got a cut. I got a hit song out. Do you want to make some fucking money? Because <laughs> like, you know, um, so that that's kind of how it can go. Obviously, you should be not much, you know, you're not going to be that aggressive. But I'm just saying, like, you got to think about it. At the end of the day, it's a business. Um, but the thing is, with, with uh, unlike labels, like, you know, cold pitching labels when you haven't really built up a substantial fan base or anything like that, that rarely works, but it does sometimes, but it rarely works. And that's not recommended at all. Um, but with publishers, it's completely different. If you just want to be a pop songwriter writing, you know, songs to get cut by pop stars or, or country stars, uh, then this is the route that you can go. All right, gonna call it there. Got a bunch more questions we're gonna get to uh, next time around. We're gonna do this pretty frequently. So again, go get on the email list at ariestake.com, submit your questions, and um, have a great week. See you next time. Today's episode was edited by Maxton Hunter, theme music by Brassroots District, and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. And once again, quick shout out to my partner, Bandzoogle. You can design any website on Bandzoogle, get 15% off and a 30-day free trial by using the code ARI. That's Bandzoogle.com. Use the promo code ARI. Aight.